some major things that are taking place there. And we're actually going to spend quite a bit of time on uh, going through some Bible passages tonight. Uh, we do a lot of current events, but uh, we got three main current events we're going to look at, and then got a lot of Bible to look at tonight. So Great. good to see you, Josh. It's always you good. Doing? I'm really good. I'm looking forward to doing this. And in fact, I was looking at the topics and I think I'm ready to go to Israel. So I'm wondering, you know, when are we going? All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, if I could get in there today, yeah. I'd be on a plane. Yeah, same. Uh, I'm, I'm not paying for your ticket, though. No? No. Man, that was worth a try. Hey. All right. Well, we're going to get right into it tonight. We've got uh, a lot of material. And again, uh, we're coming to you from Union Grove Baptist Church. For those watching on the Internet or uh, potentially at a later date, Today is, what is today, January 19th? Uh, wow, over two weeks into January already. It's hard to believe. It is. Things are, are popping right along. For those watching on the Internet or even here, if you want to text a question or a comment, uh, you can do that. To the number's on the screen, 414-788-6010. It's 7... A little after 7 p.m. Central Time, we'll be on the air for about an hour. And if you uh, contact us after 8 p.m., uh, we'll do the best to answer you, as we always do. Always. We love questions. Yep. I love good comments. Good comments are good, yeah. Good, very good. All right. <laughs> I don't know that we'll ever make it as a comedy team. I don't think so. We're not very good. Our timing is just a Time, little bit timing's off. Timing's not good. Yeah. All right, but uh, here's some timing that's right on the money as always, things that are happening from a biblical perspective. So here's the three subjects we'll uh, be taking a look at tonight. Uh, first of all, and we were, we were going to try and get into this one last week, but time didn't let us. So we're going to take a look at the kingdom of Judah's temple and royal treasuries revealed. So we're going to take some time, uh, look at some archaeological things. Then the uh, second thing we'll go to is there's uh, been riots down in the Negev Desert. Now that's in the southern end of Israel. We'll explain why those riots are taking place, what's going on, and then we'll look at the very definite prophetic nexus. And then, uh, as time permits, uh, we want to take a, and this has really been heavy in the news, about a synagogue that in Texas that uh, basically was attacked uh, by someone who was, uh, let's say, a major anti a Semitic individual, and we'll take a look at some of the scriptural uh, nexus, if you will, that goes along with that. All right, so Josh, are we ready? I'm ready. I think we're ready. Why don't you uh, start us out here, and then uh, it's, we've got a bunch of pictures and archaeological things that we're going to look at, but there's a major, major reason why we want to look at these archaeological things. All right, so the headline, Kingdom of Judah's Temple and Royal Treasuries Have Been Revealed. All right, so again, everything that we do here, by the way, uh, we document through what are called open source. In other words, these are things that come right off uh, the Internet from uh, media outlets and so forth. And uh, we always cite those things. So this particular, main, the major piece, what we'll look at is from the Jewish press. And we're going to look at some things that have been taking place on and around the Temple Mount tonight. Now we're going to show you a bunch of pictures as we go through here. But when you think about, here's, here's the reason why these things are so important right now. There is a major, major movement specifically around, uh, uh, going around by the Muslim Islamic crowd in Israel to deny that there ever was a Jewish presence basically on the Temple Mount. Now of course the Temple Mount to us, and we'll show you some pictures in a few minutes, if you're not familiar with it, there, there are three major groups in Israel that are constantly going back and forth. Two, two very much so. The third one, not so much. So, what are let's 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 take a survey here. Okay. What are the three major religious groups, if you will, in Israel? Number one would be. All right. I, I heard them all. I they did got too. Them. Yep. All right. Uh, the major one, of course, would be the Jewish people. Uh, the, the dominant uh, amount of folks in Israel are, are Jews right now. The second one would be Islam. 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 All right, so we have a, a rather large 
uh, a group of uh, Muslims that are part of Israel. And then the third group would be Christians. Christians all right. By the way, what is uh, uh, when we talk about Christians and we go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32, there's really, and, and we weren't going to go here, but you've talked me into it. There's three major people groups in the Bible. Three major people groups for 25 points tonight. You say, what does 25 points get you tonight? A $3 Starbucks coffee for $3. Wow. All right. What a deal. That's a deal. All right, what are the three groups, the people groups that exist in Scripture? Let's see if we can get those. Throw it out there. Jews, Gentiles, Christians. Jews, Gentiles, and Christians, the three people groups. You say, well, how's that? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 32, give no offense to the Jews, nor to the Greeks, being Gentiles, nor to the Church of God. All right, so what is the church or what are Christians made up of? Well, basically Jews and Gentiles that have done what? They've trusted Christ as their personal Savior. So you've got unsaved Jews, unsaved Gentiles, and then the church which is made up of saved Jews and Gentiles. Make sense? The three strands, right? There you go, the three strands of the human family. Uh, in fact, Jimmy DeYoung Jr., when he was here, mm -hmm. spoke on the subject. His dad was uh, very strong on, on those uh, three people groups. All right, so what you're looking at on the screen are a couple of artifacts that were taken out of the Temple Mount sifting project, which we'll explain to you in a few moments. And, and again, I keep promising pictures, but I'm, I'm going to make them wait. If you show them the pictures up front, then we're Then you've lost them. Then we love them. Yeah, okay. them. I want to do that. All right, so uh, here's a, another picture. This is basically at the southern end of the Temple Mount. You see a bunch of... Uh, uh, things that have been uncovered from archaeological digs. It, it's just amazing. And, and when sometimes when you look at pictures, it's like, you know, yawn, yawn, boring. Uh, but having been there and you see these things that are being uncovered, it, it's amazing because you're going back 2,000-plus years ago. In some cases, 3,000 years ago, and these things are being unearthed. So it, it's just an amazing thing that's taking place. Everything that you're seeing on this picture, by the way, was under a massive amount of dirt at one point, but the archaeologists, they keep digging, keep uncovering, and you say, well, why is that important? Well, first of all, here's another question. Does archaeology make the Bible true? No, it doesn't. You know, what, what, makes, what makes the Bible true? God, God the Bible, right? That's <laughs> pretty, that's a simplistic question for us and a simple answer. The, the, the thing is, archaeology, basically, what does it do? It just keeps backing up what God already said happened. And archaeology, by the way, has never, ever once discredited uh, the Word of God because the Word is true. All right, uh, why don't you read a couple headlines here? So this is the clay ceiling of Hezekiah, king of Judah, one of 34 clay ceilings discovered near the royal building in the Ophel Park Oria Tadmor. All right, so we're going to go to the next one here. Okay. Uh, this is a reverse side of clay ceilings from the Temple Mount showing a fabric imprint. Thanks. Uh, these clay ceilings were probably in use in the first temple's treasury. All right, now why is this important? These are items that are being pulled out of, again, the Temple Sifting Project, which, again, I keep promising to show my will. These artifacts basically are verifying what the Christian and the Jewish community have been stating. Again, the Islamic community is saying this, this stuff doesn't exist. It's not true. It's not there. And yet uh, we keep digging up, uh, if you will, more artifacts. Um, I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, if you can go back and fix your mic and I'll... Because Turn I it down a little bit. Okay. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we'll get some bad feedback there. All right, while he's doing that, send him on a little run. The Temple Mount Sifting Project was established to recover archaeological artifacts from the approximately 9,000 tons of soil that were illegally excavated and removed from the Temple Mount in 1999. Since controlled archaeological excavations, sounds better? Nope, still ringing, a little bit lower. Since controlled archaeological excavations have never been conducted on the Temple Mount, 
The artifacts that were found over the course of the years of sifting constitute the first archaeological data originating from within the soil of the Temple Mount. All right, so what's important here is we're going back to 1999, so over 20 years ago when this sifting project started. Why did this happen? All right, the dumped soil was transferred to a specialized sifting facility that in the past operated in the Emek Zurim National Park and today operates at the Mazat Lookout on Mount Scopus. These are all very close to Jerusalem, by the way. This facility integrates archaeological research with educational and tourist activity. All right, Josh, you're up. In the course of the project's 16 years of activity, the sifting has revealed hundreds of thousands of artifacts, including tens of thousands of special finds, of which only a small percentage have been researched and published to date due to financial constraints. Even though the project is a national asset and is concerned with recovering, revealing, and researching archaeological artifacts, which would otherwise have been lost in the archaeological destruction which occurred on the Temple Mount, as a result of the neg negligence of government authorities. These operates, operations have till now been funded only by private donors without any government financing. All right, so I'm gonna talk for a few few minutes here. I think we still need to adjust that because okay. we're gonna blow the internet up okay. with the ringing. Uh, all right, so what you're looking at right now is uh, what the, where the Dome of the Rock is. Now, why is this important? The Dome of the Rock sits in the exact same place where the first and second Jewish temples once stood. If you look on those massive walls, and by the way, these walls have been rebuilt multiple different times over uh, the years. The original Temple Mount basically was put in place in 960 B.C. If you recall, King David, uh, before he died, asked the Lord if he, would, uh, if he could build him a house, meaning the temple. And the Lord told King David, yes or no? No. And he said, no, I, you can't build it. But 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, the Lord said, listen, I, I will have my temple built. You can collect the resources for it, but you can't build it because you have bloody hands. And therefore, your son, which would be Solomon, of course, would be the one who would build the first temple. We'll go through that a little bit more in a few moments. So if you see the caption here, what lies hidden in the Temple Mount soil. So in front of, uh, of the walls, if you will, of the Temple Mount, specifically on, on the screen, it would be on the far right side, is what's known as the Kidron Valley. What you're, that's still having a problem. Yeah, all right, I know, I'm sorry. All right, so now if you look on the screen again, if you look on the far left side, you'll see a little pewter dome. It's right on the edge of the screen. That is what's known as the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Now, some of you are familiar with this, some not. The Al-Aqsa Mosque is where thousands of Muslims go on Friday, and they have their prayer time. The Dome of the Rock is not a mosque, but it is a shrine. Inside of it, uh, uh, and we're, we're not going to spend a great deal of time talking about it, but inside of that is where the Holy of Holies once stood, uh, when indeed Christ, I'm sorry, when indeed the uh, temples were there. The first temple got torn down. We'll go through the history in a few minutes. Then the second temple rolls up. And now is there a temple on the Temple Mount? And the answer is simplistic no. So uh, what happened? Well, uh, the Temple Mount stood vacant for about 700, well, about 600 plus years. And the Muslims came in and built this shrine to Muhammad, who allegedly uh, rose up to heaven from that particular point. Now, catch the, catch the controversy here. By the way, is there anything on there that, that the Christians can claim at this point? Outside of the historical value of it, what happened, what we believe will happen, which we'll get into from a prophetic standpoint, there's really nothing there, if you will, that screams Christianity. It screams Jewishness and Islam. The big rub, of course, is Islam versus what? The Jewish people. So we have these archaeological discoveries now that are proving that there always has been a Jewish presence there. All right, now, 
if you look kind of where that where the wall is where you where you see it come together in the corner everything from the wall that you see basically in front of the Al-Aqsa Mosque and then there's this nice flat surface if you look on the top underneath there is what was known as Solomon's stables you read about it in the Old Testament underneath that platform if you will where the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque currently are was thousands of artifacts from the first and second temple period now that's a major problem for the Islamic people so here's what they did and I'll again pictures are coming underneath the Temple Mount the Islamic people went inside there and they dug out Solomon's uh, stables and massive amount of artifacts they took them out, and some of you are familiar with this, and it's a little bit of a review. They filled up dump truck after dump truck in, uh, in the early 90s and started driving them down into the Kidron Valley a few miles away and dumped those artifacts there, literally crumbled up into pieces. So the major artifacts were destroyed. All right, so why is it important now? Well, now we're coming down to... The Islamic community wants to, if you will, rewrite history. And the only way to rewrite history is to, if you will, deny that there ever was a Jewish presence, that it's always been Islamic. So when we find these artifacts, or when the archaeologists do, I'm not going to find any. I've been to the area, but I'm not, I don't do archaeological digs, but those that have have uncovered the things such as I just showed you. And it's like, well, they're so tiny. That's exactly true. They are tiny little artifacts but what the inscriptions are absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt document the accuracy of what uh, not only the Bible says but what the, uh, what the Jewish people have been saying and, of course, from our perspective, the Christian community. All right, so we're going to get into some pictures here. A couple of these some of you have seen before. I'll have a few new ones here. All right, so this is the Temple Mount Antiquity Salvage Operation, or basically... What happens is, and if you take a look on the right, what do you see? It's a big pile of rubble. Well, that rubble is part of the massive amount of materials that were taken out from underneath the Jewish Temple Mount and dumped here. So the archaeologists for the last 20 years have been showing up at this particular site. And what do they do? Painstakingly, piece by piece, rock by rock, artifact by artifact, going through all these things and uncovering things like we just showed you that just recently came to light. All right, next one here. All right, this is a kind of an overhead view. The orange, of course, is just a, a, a an artist put this in there. So right there, as I stated, was where Solomon's temples were. Again, you see the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the left. You see the Dome of the Rock in the middle of the screen. You'll see the, the temple, uh, or I'm sorry, the uh, Temple Mount walls and the walls of the old city uh, that surround that particular area. The uh, importance of this, again, is when the Islamic folks came in and they went literally and and everything was unearthed, if you will, with, the, with Solomon's stable. stables. Now, this presented a big problem, too. <clears throat> you start pulling down the structures that existed underneath this huge, massive Temple Mount. What do you think? Have you ever... I, I shouldn't go here because some people don't like this. Anybody watch HGTV? All right, admit it. Raise your hands. Let's say it. All right. My wife lives on HGTV. <laughs> You know what HGTV is? Yes. What is it? It's a home improvement. Yeah, what do they do? Well, they'll, like, demolish what they don't want and rebuild it and make it look really nice. All right. You ever hear of a supporting wall? Yes. What happens when you take down a beam that, or, what, okay, so you got this beautiful wall, and, yep. and the HG folks show up and say, get rid of the wall, and they take the sledgehammer and boom, knock the wall down. What happens is that's not good. No. That's what happened here. They knocked down supporting beams inside the Temple Mount. The walls on the southern part, which is where the Al-Aqsa Mosque is, that's the southern wall, it started to crumble, it started to bow out. 
major problem. Well, of course, in Israel, you do not mess with archaeological items. So a massive amount of money had to be put back into this to get the wall reestablished uh, so the, the literally the Temple Mount didn't fall down, which would have been a horrific thing to take place. All right, let's go into, and of course, the. can you imagine this? I mean, I am not a patient guy, and I definitely don't like working with little things. But here you have a massive amount of individuals because they want, and, and many of them Jewish, many of them Christians, uh, will volunteer their time. They'll go in the heat of, the, of Israel, if you will, painstakingly go through little sifting trying to find these artifacts. Why are they doing this? Well, they're trying to, uh, uh, first of all, some of them just get a kick out of finding these items, but boy, do they have significance when it proves exactly what the scriptures have been saying about these archaeological finds. Uh, here's, I mean, just painstaking. I, I couldn't do this. I don't I, know if you I, could. I actually went and found a video of this today just mm. when I was searching about it. Yeah. And it, it's that's a, that's a big pile. The one I saw, it was just this tiny little pile of rocks and then they're spraying it with water and looking for it and just, yeah. I, I can't imagine the time that it, that takes and the effort. It's amazing what they, what they do. All right. So let's get to the, let's get to the telltale picture. All right. So we're now looking at the uh, exposure of how these dump trucks went down in underneath the wall and they drove down in, into, if you will, the Temple Mount area and all, they built this little road and they filled up dump truck after dump truck of items that were destroyed underneath the Temple Mount. So this is a, a huge issue. All right, again, uh, another view of this. And uh, if you've, again, if you've never been to Israel, being able to go here, it's, it's just an amazing thing just to see uh, where the temple stood. If you look on the right side of the screen, that is the Mount of... Olives, Mount of Olives. Do you remember where the Garden of Gethsemane was? Look right off to the left of where you see the white, and uh, right in that area, the first green patch that you see just uh, a little bit to the left of that white area is the Garden of Gethsemane. That's literally where Christ prayed. Now, this is a, a, an interesting, <clears throat> we're getting off the, <clears throat> excuse me, the prophetic issue right now, but here's, well, I've, I've had this, before I went to Israel, I always thought there was much bigger, big land, lots of, lots of distance between things. How far is it from, if you will, the Dome of the Rock, which was where the second temple existed when Christ was there, to get over to the Garden of Gethsemane? How far is that? Well, it's about a 10-minute walk. I mean, it's, it's very, very close. Uh, the white area that you see, it's, it's actually, those are all Jewish graves. I haven't talked about this in a while, and a lot of folks are new, so uh, it, uh, the Mount of Olives is covered with Jewish graves. And here's the interesting thing. The Jewish people, again, now these are not Christians. These are Orthodox Jewish people have, have paid an exorbitant amount of money to be buried here. You say, well, why is that? Well, the, does the Old Testament talk about a time when Jesus Christ is going to come back and come through the Eastern Gate? Yes, no? Yes. Yes, absolutely it does. That's Old Testament. Do I believe uh, that Jesus Christ is going to come back and come through the Eastern Gate? Absolutely I do. Uh, because the Bible uh, talked about it in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, uh, as we say many, many times, let's see if you remember. How many prophecies about, are there about the Bible? About a thousand. About a thousand. How many have come to pass exactly as stated? Half of them. Half of them. So about 500. That means 500 more, many of them in the Old Testament, a lot of them in the Old Testament, some in the New, have yet to be fulfilled. So the, the Jewish people are like, well, the, the scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ, or not Jesus, they'll call him the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, he'll enter in, come down the Mount of Olives, and come through the Eastern Gate. So the eastern gate, you can't see it. It's on the, the right side, if you will. The Dome of the Rock is where the eastern gate is. Here's what the Jewish people, and this is extra-biblical uh, beliefs by the Jewish people from what's known as the Talmud, which is a massive commentary set 
put together by the Jewish uh, rabbis and so forth. What they believe is when the Messiah comes, which is true, according to Zechariah, he's going to come through the Mount of Olives and he will then enter into the Eastern Gate, Zechariah 14. They believe, again, this is not biblical, it's extra-biblical literature from the Talmud, the Jewish writings, that those that are buried on the Mount of Olives will be the first ones to be resurrected. So they pay, when I first started going to Israel in 2009, a grave there was about 100000 American dollars. Wow. A little bit steep. I've heard them now, the last time we went to, before Israel was shut down in uh, about 2019, I've heard that the graves were going for as much as $1 million. Wow. wow. That's an exorbitant amount of money, but they want to be the ones that supposedly will rise first. Well, unfortunately, that's extra-biblical. It's not true. And by the way, the Jewish people need to get saved. Yes. And they need to trust Christ. Yep. Absolutely. I will guarantee you, without Christ, they will not be resurrected to go into the kingdom, uh, which is very unfortunate. All right, let's move on a little bit. Uh, let's go then to what's known as the Temple Mount Sifting Project, and again, we've already talked a bit about this. And again, now this is another shot just of the Dome of the Rock to remind us that the uh, a temple is not currently sitting there. Uh, everyone here knows the answer to this. Where's the temple today? It's in us, 1 Corinthians uh, 3.16. Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? 1 Corinthians 6.19 uh, repeats the same thing. So why are we going back to this archaeological importance? Well, okay, here's a picture of uh, at least an artist's rendition of the first temple, Solomon's temple, that existed between 960 and 586 B.C. Now, folks, do we believe that the first temple existed? Yeah. Solomon's temple existed. Yeah. All right, so me and you as Christians, we believe the Old Testament. It's a, a, a documented fact because it's in Scripture. So when a, another religious group says, no, first temple did not exist, and all of a sudden we go to the Temple Mount Sifting Project and they pull out things that are back from this time period, it kind of helps prove, uh, even though we believe it by faith, but it literally proves it's, this to be true. It's hard to argue with uh, archaeological evidence. Very hard. Uh, again, another artist's rendition. So here's what happens. In 586 B.C., Here's a, and, and we go through this on occasion. Let's take a quiz. In 586 B.C., who tore down the first temple? Who? All right, Nebuchadnezzar, and he was part of what country? Babylon, the Babylonians, all right? So uh, under King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians came in in 586 B.C. They destroyed the first temple. By the way, and uh, I know folks watching on the Internet can't hear, so I'll repeat the answers. But why did God have that first temple destroyed? Why, why was it brought down? Why did he, if you will, take it away from him? What did the Jewish people do or not do? They didn't obey the, the land Sabbath. Very good. Second Chronicles tells us that uh, because the Jewish people, they came into the land they had not followed the mandatory land Sabbaths for 490 years. They didn't follow the land Sabbaths. That means they missed 70 of them. Divide 7 into 490, you get 70 years or 70 land Sabbaths. So God said, you're not going to follow what I told you to do. Say bye-bye temple and go 70 years to Babylon for the 70 years you missed the captivity. All right, so then uh, uh, King Cyrus says, hey, guys, uh, God spoke to me, and I think you're supposed to go back and build another temple. God releases the Jewish people. They go back to Jerusalem, and in 515 B.C., they build the second temple. All right, so now what happens? I think we're out of, I might have, there we go. All right, so the second temple is built. And in 70 A.D., for five points, because you all know this one, who comes in and uh, uh, basically destroys that second temple? What group of people? The Romans. Very, very, very important. Because Daniel 9, chapter 26 and 27 makes it very clear 
that whoever, whatever people group destroys the second temple, that is the people of the whom? Who's going to come out of that people group? The Antichrist. Thank you, the Antichrist. All right? So we know that the Antichrist is going to come out of what group of people? And we'll show you the verses in a few minutes. The, it's going to have, the, whoever the Antichrist is going to be, he has to come out, if you will, of that Roman Empire. Now, make it very clear, we're not talking about the little teeny Rome that exists today in Italy. We're talking about the complete Roman Empire, which is basically the only thing that I can kind of give you a good picture of is the European Union was basically uh, what the Roman Empire was, very similar in size. You say, well, are you saying the European Union is going to be uh, part of the ten Confederate nations that will rise up and support the Antichrist? What I'm saying is, in all probability, is the European Union is very likely to be the infrastructure for the ten nations that will rise up and support the Antichrist. So that's a little speculation, but uh, based on Scripture, it makes some sense. All right, uh, let's see. What do we got here? We've talked about this before. Josh, if you, you, does this one make sense to you? Can't recall it. All right. Uh, we got a red heifer sitting on top of a pile of wood. And, uh, of course, uh, the red heifer was a major sacrifice that had to take place back in Old Testament times. There was a, and you see this, what it looks, and, of course, it's, it's way, it's not anywhere near as long as it looks here. But if you look to the far end on the left side of your screen, that is uh, the temple that used to exist. So uh, based on uh, lots of different uh, archaeological concepts as well as biblical concepts, the red heifer sacrifice, uh, which basically the ashes of the red heifer were used to purify the temple, purify people, purify priests. So that took place. Why is all this concept, about, again, about finding artifacts important? Well, it backs up what God has stated in the Old Testament, such as uh, the red heifer sacrifice, the bridge that went across to, uh, from basically right on the Mount of Olives all the way back to where uh, the temples were. So this is all important historical data. Uh, we did talk about the red heifer a few mm -hmm. uh, sessions ago. We're not going to go into it, but all these things back up. They had to have a Jewish Presence, very important. All right, now, artist's interpretation of what the temple would look like today. All right, so basically where you see this, if you look on the front, you'll see the wall. That is uh, the wall where the eastern gate is today. Now, you take down the Dome of the Rock, and the third temple will go up in that exact spot. There are multiple different things on the Internet that you can watch about, well, no, that's not where the first and the second temple were. It was down a little bit to the south in the city of David, and on and on the arguments go. And, well, the Holy of Holies really isn't uh, where the Dome of the Rock is, and uh, uh, therefore the temple could be built next to the Dome of the Rock. And uh, I don't want to be unkind, but that is not going to happen. You're not going to put the Muslims and the Jewish people on the same place. And God is not going to give up his property for, an, for a satanic religion to sit next door to them. It's not going to happen. So we're going to go into some of the scriptures now. But basically, this is an artist's rendition. If you look around, you can see some of what the old city uh, would look like. So this is a very uh, like rendition of what they believe the second temple looked like, the third temple, which will be placed in Israel. How many, okay, here's, here's a, a, I'll give 50 points for this one. Wow, 50. How, oh, I almost gave it away. Oh. How many temples will be built, what's totality? How many were built and how many will be built for a total of how many temples, Jewish temples will be on this spot? I hear a three. Do I hear another number? I hear a four. Four. Do I hear any more? Going once, going twice, sold to the number four. All right, we're going to show you why there will be four temples, two that have existed, two that are yet to come on that point. By the way, this is what's known. The next temple will be the seven-year uh, tribulation temple, which the Jewish people will build. We'll show you those in just a moment. And uh, let's go to a chart. I haven't done a chart in a while. All right, basic 
chronological chart of what has and is coming. We currently live in what's known as the church age. It's in progress. It started after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the early part of Acts. The church was formed. And again, it's been going on for some 2,000 years. The next major event on God's prophetic calendar, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 54, Daniel 9, uh, uh, between Daniel 9, 26 and 27. The next major event on God's prophetic timeline is the rapture of the church, where God will take uh, one generation of Christians home. Immediately after the rapture of the church, uh, there'll be a little bit of a, we don't know how long, there'll be a little bit of a gap time. The next major event after the rapture is the seven-year tribulation period. Daniel 9.27, which we'll look at in the next slide, makes it very clear that the Antichrist will come on the scene. He will confirm a peace treaty or a covenant with the Jewish people, which will kick off seven years of the worst, horrible, catastrophic times that this earth has ever faced short of the flood itself. Seven years of horrible tribulation. At the end of that seven-year tribulation, well, wait a minute. The third temple actually, and the slide is actually, I'm going to have to put an arrow in there. The third temple is actually going to happen during that red part, which is, uh, and we'll look at the verses, it will happen during the tribulation period, not the millennium. The actual next temple will come when Jesus Christ returns in the fourth temple, spoken about in Ezekiel 40 to 46, when the fourth temple will be built. So we've got to fix that slide. I'm going to get rid of it because I don't like it now. <laughs> All right. All right, let's take a look at, the, at uh, a few verses now. You want to read Daniel 9.27? And uh, a- actually, if you'll add the things in parentheses, okay. will be a help to us. Then he, Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant or peace treaty with many, Israel, for one week, which is seven years. But in the middle of the week, after three and a half years, he, the Antichrist, shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So temple sacrifices stopped. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, which is the Antichrist, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. desolate. Yeah, and actually it should be desolator. Desolator. Um, if we go back to the, Eng- or the original Hebrew. All right, so what are we looking at here? So uh, the next temple, how do we know there's going to be a third temple? Well, this verse uh, screams it out. Those of you that have been at Union Grove Baptist for some time, we've talked about this multiple times. All right, so the Antichrist comes on the, on the scene. Is there a Jewish temple in Israel today? No, no there's absolutely not. For 2,000 years, there's been no temple on God's temple mount. And the question is, well, why not? Well, because I, I believe absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has not allowed that third temple to be built, and he won't allow it to be built until the Antichrist comes on the scene and confirms this peace treaty. Where's the temple today? Well, during the church age, it's inside of church, uh, uh, the church, meaning the body of Christ. Can't have another uh, a temple while uh, we're here, especially on, on God's temple mount. All right, so what's going to happen is the, the Jewish people are returning to Israel by the literally thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and actually seven Uh, Over 7 million Jewish people now live in Israel since 1948 when they became a state. God is drawing the Jewish people back. What do many of the Jewish, especially the Orthodox Jewish people, what do they want in Israel? Temple. First of all, remember, these are not Christians. They're Orthodox Jews that want this. They want the temple. They want to restore the old religion, if you will, of the Old Testament. They want to get the temple built and start the sacrificial system again. Will that happen? Absolutely it will happen because God confirms it right here. So these unsaved, and, and I mean no disrespect by this, it's just a biblical fact. You have many unsaved Jewish individuals. What are they doing? They're going back to Israel. The majority of them, by the way, aren't even religious. They could care less about the temple. But those that do, the Hasidic, which are the ultra-Orthodox, and the Orthodox Jewish people, they want that temple back in the worst way. They want to restore the, the Jewish sacrificial system. Well, how does that happen? Well, the good old Antichrist shows up. He becomes the world dictator. When We could go through that in Revelation chapter 13. 
becomes a world dictator, and he confirms basically a treaty with the Jewish people, which they've been looking for for 2,000-plus years. What does he do? The Antichrist confirms the Covenant Peace Treaty with the Jewish people for a seven-year period. But, and here's the operative statement, in the middle of the week or after three and a half years, he's going to put an end to the sacrifice and offering. Well, folks, what is he going to stop from happening? He's going to stop the temple that he's allowed to be rebuilt. He's going to put an end to the Jewish people being able to sacrifice there. That's exactly what this verse is saying. So, and then he talks about, and we'll look at other verses to back up this, the abomination. You were here, many of you have been here, you've gone through Revelation 13 with us and Revelation 12. What happens in Revelation 12? Satan gets booted out of heaven. He comes down to this earth, and you all know this verse. And he is absolutely beside himself with anger because his time is short. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, uh, starting at verse 7 through the end of the chapter. Satan's cast down. He is furious. Wait a minute. Has the Antichrist been good to the Jewish people for the last three and a half years? Yeah. Absolutely he has. He's allowed them to get the temple built, the third temple. Go ahead, guys. Uh, set up the sacrificial system. Have at it. And they do. Now, all of a sudden, why does the Antichrist turn from being the friend of the Jewish people to their arch enemy? Revelation 12, Satan gets kicked out of heaven. He comes down. He empowers uh, the Antichrist, and he turns, boom, 180 degrees, and all of a sudden, the Antichrist becomes the worst persecutor of the Jewish people that has ever or ever will exist. This goes to that fact. Let's go to a clearer one, Matthew 24, 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. All right, so inside the temple, there are a couple of different chambers. When you first come in, you have the open court area, which you can see in the front of the temple. Then when you get inside, you have the holy place. That's where the priest can come in. That's where the table of showbread are, some other different things that are inside there, the menorah, all these different things, the altar of incense. And then you go past the holy place into the what? Holy of the holy. holy of holies. How many times a year could someone enter the holy of holies? One time. Once a year, and who was able to allow to go into the holy of holies? The high priest. He would go in there, basically make atonement, a sacrifice, if you will, was done. He would come in, uh, uh, put the incense in there, bring a, a part of that, uh, and lay it on, if you will, the top of the Ark of the what? Covenant. Ark of the Covenant. All right, so you know that. That's excellent. What's going to happen when the Antichrist shows up? Well, for the first three and a half years, he says, have at it. Do, what you, do whatever you Jewish folks do. God bless you. Have a great time. Then after three and a half years, he says what? I'm going into the temple, and I'm going to have the abomination of desolation is going to take place. What does that mean? Well, if you go back to 164 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes walked into the second temple, slaughtered a pig, an unclean animal, took the, the pig juice, if you will, the broth of the pig, and poured it on the altar, desolating, if you will, uh, the Jewish temple. That was the, if you will, a foretaste of what's coming when the Antichrist will basically set up what? The false image, if you will, and will put that false image, Revelation 13, inside the temple, desecrating the temple, and basically at that point the Jewish people, according to Matthew 24, are told to run away as fast as you can because if you don't, you're going to die right here. Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9 says, two thirds of all Jewish people will die. We've gone through this many a time. Only one third of the Jewish people will pre be preserved. How do we know that? Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. One third will be taken through the fire. Revelation 12, first several verses, tells us what? In Revelation chapter 12, it's made very clear that God will take a remnant of the Jewish people and hide them. And that will be that one third of the people that will be saved. 
Last Sunday, we talked about the 144,000 young male Jewish virgin evangelists from Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. They will come out of that group of the one-third of Jewish people that will be preserved by God uh, and that will have a turn to Jesus. But, again, how do you have the abomination of desolation if you don't have a third temple? You can't. All right? So Matthew 24, 15. Uh, Mark 13, 14. Same concept, different uh, author, if you will. Okay. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Then let what? Flee. Let, let them flee. Get out of town. Why? Because the Antichrist troops are going to come in. They're going to demand that you either worship the Antichrist and worship his false image or you will die. So it's, it's very, a horrible, horrible time that will take place in the middle of the tribulation. Let's go to one more. Let's go to the Pauline epistles and see what Paul says. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day, the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, or Antichrist, is revealed the son of perdition, Satan, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Sitting in what? The temple. When, 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 when was this epistle written, approximately? In the B.C. times or A.D.? A.D. A.D. So there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it that the Apostle Paul is talking about a future temple that would be sitting on the temple mount. And he basically backs up the same thing that Daniel said. He's backing up the same thing that Matthew and Mark stated. So these things are an absolute that absolutely will take place. All right, one more. Uh, let's go to Revelation. Now, the Apostle John, of course, wrote Revelation in about 90 A.D. And let's see what, and again, Revelation is part of the all prophetic from chapter 4 on about things that have not taken place yet. And here's what God says, uh, asked, if you will, the Apostle John to do uh, from a figurative standpoint. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. How long? 42 months. How much is three and a half years and months? 42, 42 months. 1,260 days. You say, wait a minute, 365 days, the math doesn't work. Well, it works because we're looking at uh, uh, old old uh, uh, calendar of the Jewish prophetic calendar, which had 360 days. So when you look in the Bible, it's 1,260 days, 42 months, or time, get three fingers, times and half a time. <laughs> Time being one year, times being two years, half a time being half a year. When you look in Scripture and see time, times, and half a times, three, uh, 42 months, 1,260 days. Why is that important? Because God is saying that in the middle of the tribulation period, that temple will be defiled and it will be tread down for 42 more months. So the time period is there. It's undeniably true by God. All right, last one uh, in this section, uh, Revelation 13, 14, and 15. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and live. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. All right, so let's get the context here. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the false prophet, the part of the satanic trinity. First part of Satan, if, or first part of the satanic trinity, Satan himself, imitating God the Father. Second person is the beast or the antichrist, imitating Christ himself. The second person of the trinity. And as Satan always does, he's got to do a full mimic, so we have to have the false prophet who is imitating the Holy Spirit. So the satanic trinity, it consists of Satan, Antichrist, false prophet, the true trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What does it say here? When the abomination of desolation happens in the middle of the tribulation period, when that false image of the Antichrist is, is or that fake, if you will, uh, image of the Antichrist is forced into the temple, 
that's when the abomination of desolation takes place, which we looked at in the other verses. Why does all this come back to archaeology? Because archaeology simply is pointing out that everything that we've read about in the Old Testament, everything that we've said tonight is 100% accurate, and the, if you will, the fake news and uh, the rewriting of history that is attempting to be done uh, specifically by our Muslim friends. Why did I say Muslim friends? Because we love them. We do. We do. And uh, do we agree with them? No. Not in their doctrine, not in their theology. But folks, uh, did Jesus Christ come into the world to save all sinners? Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, even though uh, obviously we, we totally disagree with their theology and their religion and where they're, where they're uh, headed as a group, I got to love each and every one of them, and, and we pray for them, and ask the Lord to, to touch them. We have missionaries that, uh, of course, go into Muslim countries, and and right here in America, yeah. many many Muslims. The the Muslim population is tremendously growing, and it's like, well, can you tell a Muslim about Jesus? Are they human? Yeah, absolutely. And every single person is a soul for whom Christ died. Don't care what religion they are. Uh, if we love if we love Jesus like we say we do, we got to love everybody, and. Uh, Again, uh, they've caused a lot of trouble to Christian people. They've martyred many of them. But uh, that doesn't mean we don't love them and care about them and, and pray for them and witness to them when we get that opportunity. So that's why I always call uh, uh, these individuals our Muslim friends. Uh, they may not be my friend today, but I'm going to do everything I can in the power of the gospel to, uh, to move in that direction. All right. Uh, let's move on. We're... That took a long time, didn't it? Well, let's go to riots in the Negev Desert. Let's let's uh, pump this up a little bit. Talk right. about uh, some fighting, and uh, let's have a good time trying to figure out how to say these names. But okay. go for it. Why tree planting in the Negev sparked protests, riots, and a coalition crisis. In JNF forests, Bedouin see soft expulsion. Environmentalists see a key ecological interest. And right-wing politicians see a weapon against illegal squatters. All right. M.K. Itamar ben Gavir plants a tree outside the Bedouin village of Mulada in the Negev Desert, southern Israel, uh, January 12, 2022. Sounds pretty current. It does. It does. All right, go ahead. Uh, the slender saplings placed into soil churned up by tractors seem far too innocuous to spark a coalition crisis. But where and how they're planted turns out to matter on a national scale. The Jewish National Fund, a quasi-governmental body that oversees 13% of Israel's land, began several days of planting trees on disputed land in the Negev on Sunday. The response was immediate. Protests by the Bedouin residents that escalated into clashes. Many Negev Bedouin live in unrecognized townships scattered across Israel's southern desert. The government has sought to relocate them into planned recognized cities, but most Bedouin have refused, insisting on the right to stay where they are. Bedouin leaders have called the forestation work the beginning of an attempt to expel some of those living in the unrecognized villages and take over disputed land. Although this week's planting has been limited to a small area of farmland, they see it as part of a larger plan to depopulate the area of Bedouins. All right, so... I get an absolute, I don't know why, but I just get an absolute thrill uh, when we're in Israel and we go by these Bedouin villages. The Bedouins truly are really uh, live out in the desert. You can see these what look like shanties. Uh, they, they basically put up makeshift, I mean, they look like they're 10 cent f uh, buildings. They get junky steel, whatever, and then they put over these tarps over them. It's very hard to believe when you look at this settlement that actually many of these Bedouins are actually rather wealthy, believe it or not. Wow. You'll find Mercedes-Benz parked behind the tents. You'll find <laughs> nice TVs out there. Some, uh, some of them get piped in water. And there, there are those that aren't rich, if you will. But uh, it's very interesting because these are the true, true Arab people that want to live in the desert. Well, here's what happened. And Valerie and I have been a part of this. The Jewish National Fund, and fortunately we weren't doing it in the Negev Desert, uh, but we were in other parts of Israel where it was a big deal with the Friends of Israel. We'd go into different areas and we'd plant trees. 
So we go out there, we grab a little shovel, we grab a little tree and dig it in and, and put it in the ground because there's not a lot of force in, in Israel. A forest there is basically like a, a backyard with a lot of trees would be a forest in Israel. So they're trying to re repopulate Israel with a lot of trees. Well, here and now we have a little problem because we've got the Bedouins who say, this is my land, stay off it. And now we've got that nasty group of Jews and Christians that are coming onto the land uh, basically planting trees down in the Negev or the very southern part of Israel, and they're like, get off my property. So it's a huge issue. Let's go on and we'll see what happened here. We only got about a couple minutes right. left, but we'll zip through it. Planting trees in this manner has a twofold effect. It prevents our towns from expanding, and it means those living in the land are expelled, said Jacob Drizet, a Bedouin official in the Al-Qassam Regional Council. The JNF, also known as the Karen... Kemet Lizriel says it is simply planting trees on state land. Some environmental experts see afforestation of Israel's national lands as a key ecological goal, although planting trees in the desert is a highly delicate process. All right, so this is literal. This is a picture that was just taken in Israel. The Bedouin people, if you will, the Arab people, those that live in those villages like you just saw, they are absolutely beside themselves because they feel that their land is being infringed on you know if we're going to plant trees we'll plant them ourselves they come out horrible riots are taking place uh, um, some of the news sources were saying well it died down well it didn't die down it actually escalated after this uh, event started and it's just been this horrible back and forth because the the palestinian people said this is our land we own it the jewish people do not well, because of time, I'm going to skip ahead to our last slide in this section. And here we go. And just remind us, so you don't understand that when you, maybe if you've watched the news and so forth, especially if you're interested in Israeli news, you'll see these riots taking place. Like, why do they care? What's the big issue? Folks, land in Israel is a huge, huge, huge issue. It's not like in America where you go to uh, the court and uh, it's like, listen, here's my diagram, here's my chart, this is my land, tell my neighbor to get off it. It's not like that. The problem is when you go back thousands of years, who originally owned the land? And all of a sudden the Arabs say, this is my land. The Jews say, it's my land. And what do you got? A riot. Get off my property. And it's, and it's no joke. Uh, people have been severely hurt and uh, police have been hurt and so forth. All right, so take a look. This is when we'll close with this. I mean, we've shown this concept before. So when you look at Israel and you look at current Israel as that little tiny circle, and uh, all of us are familiar with that map, I trust, and that is the current land that uh, is even disputed today by uh, the Arab folks. So there's this constant back and forth, whose land is whose? Well, if you, uh, if you believe in the Bible, which, of course, we as Christians do, and you believe in the Old Testament, which we as Christians do, and you look at the borders that Israel, the Jewish people, have been promised in Genesis 15, Numbers 34, and Ezekiel 47 and 48, that outside red ring is the land that God said belongs to the Jewish people. Now, when will, if ever, the Jewish people get that property? Well, according to Ezekiel chapter 47 and 48, when God builds the fourth temple, the land is divvied up in uh, 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 chapters 47 and 48, and that is basically the land mass uh, that's being spoken about as well as specifically in those other passages. Will the Jewish people eventually get their land? Not until the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, comes back and sets up his 1,000-year millennial kingdom. What will happen before that? Revelation chapter 16, there will be a massive, massive earthquake in which all the valleys will be brought up to make them flat. All the hills will be brought down flat. The land of Israel will change from a tiny little country into the massive land property that you see on here. Uh, we'll actually... You okay? All right. You'll actually uh, uh, see some of those waters will disappear. Some of, It's just amazing what will happen. So you say, is there going to be a fourth temple? After the third temple is destroyed, when Jesus Christ comes back, if you will, the pagan Jewish temple, that will go up. God himself will build the fourth 
temple, spoken about in Zechariah chapter 6, verses, uh, I believe it's 12 and 13. The Messiah, the branch, will build that fourth temple. All right, Josh, we had a lot in uh, yeah. two sessions. We'll have to leave the third one to next week. You know, you mentioned before that um, we can love people and not agree with them. Mm. And that goes against our culture today because they've redefined love to say, you, if you're going to love me, you have to agree with everything that I believe in. Mm -hmm. And I think that was important to talk about, that we can love others and not agree with everything that they believe in. And you know what, Josh? I agree with you. Amen. All right, well, let's Good. close this out in prayer, and we've got to go get some kitties. Yep. All right, thanks for being here tonight. Father, we do thank you for the time. We thank you for your word that we can continue to go to. We thank you for these different things, uh, archaeology, how we, every time uh, things are unearthed, they continue to confirm what we believe by faith that your word says. Uh, and Lord, I also pray for us that you'd help us to indeed love others. Uh, we don't have to agree, uh, but we can still love. And I pray that you'd teach us how to do that and uh, run as uh, that's really a counterculture a way of living. And so I pray you give us the boldness and the love to do that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a safe travel.